0: Well, good morning, Sailorville. If you have a copy of Scripture with you, you can find the last chapter in Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. As we continue and start to round the corner to this uh, series we began before Christmas on the life of Christ, we are now into the post-resurrection time. And really in what some would say the greatest passage of Scripture In the entire New Testament, the most important one at least For those who would call themselves a part of the church This is the Great Commission The Great Commission is a great omission for many And familiarity often breeds contempt Because we know a passage like this so well So I would just ask you to just have a heart that would just sort of reset itself And be open to the words that will come both from the word of God And through the exposition of it here this morning. Let me pray to that end. God, that's our prayer as we look at your great commission. One that so many in this room and watching online already know. And they might even be tempted to think, I already know that. But knowing and doing, Lord, are two very different things. We need to know. But we need to be doers of the word, not hearers only. So make us that way, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 28. H.B. Charles tells the story uh, of an ocean liner that was conceived by the United States of America. In fact, it's called the SS uh, uh, United States. It was was conceived during World War II, it was actually built around 1950 with the intention of carrying soldiers into battle. In fact, it was the fastest ship on the water, it was the biggest ship on the water, and it would take 15,000 troops into battle. That was its design. It became a luxury liner. Instead of carrying troops into battle, it carried celebrities to you know, comfy vacation spots. So and in fact, today it's just a tourist attraction is what it is today. Charles and his sermon said, "The church is a troop carrier, not a luxury liner. A war vessel, not a tourist attraction. And then when I heard him say these words, I thought, these words ought to be tattooed on our brains. The last command of Jesus should be the first priority of the church. That's the one I want you to memorize. The last command of Jesus must become the first priority of the church. What is the last command of Jesus? It's right here. Let's look at it again with fresh eyes, shall we? Beginning in verse 16. Now, the 11 disciples, minus Judas, who is off himself, and he's gone to his destination, went to Galilee, to the mountain that would be Mount Olivet, according to Acts chapter 1, the very place where Jesus will return. Uh, And so that's where they came. They saw him. Verse 17, and worshiped him, which is what you do when you see the resurrected Jesus. Amen? But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, try to picture the scene, if you will. Jesus has lived, he has taught, he's done miracles, he has suffered, he's died, he's risen, he's revealed himself alive, like we saw last week in Acts chapter 1, for like a month and a half, 40 days. He's cleared up all of Thomas's doubts. He's restored Peter from his denials. And he's taught on the kingdom of God. And as we saw last week, he gave his disciples through these 40 days motivations to be witnesses for him. The proof of his resurrection. The promise of the Holy Spirit and the, and the accompanying power that would come because of the Spirit's Work in their lives and in ours to be witnesses unto him in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the othermost parts of the earth. So, if the last command of Jesus must become the first priority of the church, what is that command? I would submit to you that it's more than just giving the gospel, it's more than just witnessing. The command is to make disciples of all nations. That's the command, that's the imperative within the text. The others going, baptizing, and teaching are participles. They, they sort of like their tentacles, they, they fan out from, from making disciples. And they are commands sort of implicit within the bigger command to make disciples. But here's the question that we want to pose. How does the church... And we could add, how does the church at Sailorville make disciples? Our motto, more people, what? More like Jesus. How does, that's, that's making disciples. That's what that is. And how does that happen? How does that happen? Well, let me submit to you that the first way is by relying on the power of Jesus. By relying on the power of Jesus himself. Now, you see there in the text that they come together. And, there, there, there's, and there's, there's bunches of them, and some doubted. Do you see that? Isn't that? Do you, get, you kind of scratch your head when you read that? Some doubted. What a great group to start with. But if you really compress all of the accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts, and even 1 Corinthians 15, there's probably, this is probably the scene where not just the 11, but there's 500 plus here. They're all Jews. They're all, they've all become followers of Jesus. They're all gathered together. They've seen the resurrected Jesus. They're worshiping him. But in a group like this, it makes sense that some would doubt. They've not yet been filled with the Spirit. That's going to come in 10 days at Pentecost when the church begins. The Spirit comes and fills all of those who know him. It's a weak group indeed. And so soon their fear is going to be replaced by fire. What I want you to see is when the Great Commission... And I'll come back to that. That's what this is. Really begins in verse 18. Don't ever start it in verse 19 where it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It starts in verse 18 where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's that's the beginning. How do we make disciples? By relying on the power of Jesus. That's how we make disciples. Jesus' humiliation is over. He has reclaimed his sovereign authority. That's the word here. It's the Greek word exousia. It literally means power. And we like that word, don't we? Power over everything, heaven and earth. I, as I was studying this, I thought of Jonah. If you're familiar with the story of Jonah, God gives him a command, he runs the other way, he's going the opposite direction, he's on the Mediterranean, God causes a storm to take place, the the place the, the boat's about ready to be swamped, the sailors are calling out to their false gods, they wake Jonah up from his stupor, and they say, you, know, you need to cry out to your God. By the way, who is your God? And Jonah goes, well, I'm, you know, I fear the God who made the heavens and the sea. What? They suddenly realize he's the God who has authority over everything. No wonder they freaked out. Authority. Power. Jesus has it. Can I get an amen? And he's giving it to you and me. We're in his name. We go in his authority. Now, in the Nimmers family, our claim to fame for many years was my brother Larry, who was an NFL referee for 23 years. And, uh, you know, in his 23 years, he interacted with a lot of multi-million dollar football players. I mean, making tons of money. And he was not always popular with them with with his calls that he made. I mean, some of these guys, (laughs) some of these guys would act like little petulant children crying and complaining and you know, bad call and I love it if you look at these pictures look how calm my brother looks in all these pictures I'll tell you why he's calm he knows that they have the money but he had the authority <laughs> he's the one who made the call he's the one who made the last decision he's the one they had to come underneath eventually let me tell you something we make disciples, not based off personal charisma or money, but by authority, by exousia, by the power of Jesus Christ. By the way, when you get into the guts of the Great Commission in verse 19, where he says, go, and then he has a word that's an antecedent. Go what? Go, therefore. Don't just say go make sign. go therefore. Therefore harkens back to the text. He's saying go in my power, go in my authority. That's what he's saying. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. So go in that power, that's what he's referring to. In physics, power is defined as the transfer of energy. That's why a a 100 watt light bulb has more energy than a 60 watt light bulb and we've all done that right you put the you know you, you thought you were putting 100 in there and you put that little you know nothing so the idea our energy our power our authority in making disciples listen to this comes from the transferred power of jesus christ to us in us and through us this is how we go this is, how, this is how we pray. If you ask anything, in my name, that's, that's saying in my power, I'll give it to you. This is how we serve. That's why Paul says in Colossians three seventeen. whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to his name. Do it in, it, do it in his power. And when, whenever we preach the gospel like Peter did, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name, that's the power, Under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. Amen? That's power. That's power from on high, power given to us. And if we're going to make disciples at Sailorville Church, the Engaged Network, and in this world, we'll do it by relying on the power of Jesus, going in His authority, and we'll make disciples. Secondly, how does Sailorville Church make disciples? By going you got to go, right? By going in the compassion of Jesus. So just from a technical perspective, uh, you know, many, many, a missionary message has been preached that the command here is to go, but we know now the command is to make disciples, right? And the going and the baptizing and the teaching, they all have INGs, really. The go doesn't, but it should, They all. It's, it's, it's basically a participle, a present participle, that's where you get your ING, okay? And they sort of fan out from making disciples, but you do have to go. Just last week, I talked with someone, a young man who, who told me in our short discussion that he he had the gift of evangelism, and I, I pray that he does, I, I hope that he does have the gift, because we can use more evangelists, they're not a dime a dozen. But if it's true, as I said to that young man, then there should be evidence. If you have the gift of evangelism, there should be people around you coming to know Jesus as their Savior, right? If, if you tell me that you have the gift of hospitality and you never have anybody over, I'm sorry. I don't believe you. Uh, If a man calls himself a disciple maker, but isn't going, isn't interacting with lost people, doesn't see anyone come to know Jesus and bear fruit, well, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's probably not really true. There's good news for all of us here, though. This is a command. This isn't a gift. The command is to make disciples. He's not saying, those of you that are gifted, go out there and do it. I get it. A lot of you think, well, the church is built on a bunch of specialists to go out there and do it. That's a lie. Don't believe that. This isn't coming upon all of us. It's a command. And if God commands you to do it, he'll give you the resources to do it. He's already given the authority in his person. He'll give you the resource and his Holy Spirit and the knowledge. You put it all together, you can make disciples. If we are to make disciples, we have to be a going church. Just uh, uh, a woman came to me right after we sent the legend himself, Chuck, to clean uh, to help start our sixth church in the Engaged Network in North Ankeny. And uh, one, a woman in our church came over and she had tears in her eyes. It was kind of a hard day because Chuck was leaving. And, uh, and, uh, and she said, but you know, he so encouraged me. Whenever he taught on evangelism, my thought was, I can do this. I, can, I thought, yes. And let me just tell you something. That was a couple years ago. That woman just last week, sent me a text, and then we talked and we interacted. She had been praying for opportunities, which, of course, if you pray for opportunities, they'll come, and, uh, and then was studying the, the Word of God in some particular area, and then she runs into a woman who's struggling, not a Christian, struggling in the very area she was studying. She began an evangelistic Bible study. She's close to being saved right now. Let me tell you something. What is this woman doing? Is she acting upon her gift? No, she's obeying a command to make disciples. That's what she's doing. And she's going to make it happen, right? The word go speaks of intention. It speaks of determination. It speaks of direction. It speaks of direction. So let me ask you, where are you off to? No, really, where are you off to? When you get up in the morning, you go, I mean, you say, well, I'm off to work. I'm off to fulfill my desires, my aspirations. If your desires, your aspirations have a period that have nothing to do with making disciples, then your priorities are not where they belong. You can still do your work. You can still interact with people. You can still enjoy life. We're not supposed to be a bunch of prudes around here. It isn't as if God doesn't want us to enjoy life. But in so doing, you make disciples, which is what one of our core statements says. Just the other day, my wife and I have been working with a young couple so precious. We love them dearly. They're not Christians yet. They're coming so close. They're, they're interested in, to comprehend what it means to be saved. We were ready to have that Bible study, and suddenly a bunch of stuff came, just crazy stuff came into their life, and we had to postpone the study. And I, all I could think of was 1 Thessalonians 2, verse uh, 18, where the Apostle Paul uh, says to the Thessalonians, I wanted to come to you time and again, but Satan hindered me. Have you ever read that? The word hindered is a Greek word which means to cut off, which is what he strategically does mil, you know, from a military perspective. It's a military term. He cut us off. And I thought, we're getting cut off. I thought, we're getting, honey, we're getting cut off from this couple we love. We want to come to know Christ. But as soon as I started to get discouraged, I got excited. And I thought, that means I'm in the fight. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. Amen? And I have the authority of Jesus Christ in me, within me, and upon me. And so I'm determined. And by the grace of God, this couple will come to know Jesus. That's my prayer. Jesus was a goer, wasn't he? Even in the midst of it, you see Mark's gospel is frenetic. He's going, he's always immediately, immediately, immediately. You read that word all the time in Mark's gospel. And you see in chapter 1, and verse 38, he says to his disciples, let's go. Let's go, let's go to other towns. I got to preach there. You see this determination in Christ. Where should we go? What does the text say? Where should we go? Go, therefore, make disciples. There's the command of what? All nations. All nations. Do you realize how shocking that would have been to the 500 Jews that were here? They were so exclusive you know, by the way, all nations, every ethne, that's the Greek word, uh, uh, that's the Greek phrase, every ethne, it's it basically, it's all people groups, that's the idea here. Yesterday, I was a baseball game, watching one of my grandsons play baseball, and I was introduced to a man, I'd never met him before, a super cool guy, he's pastoring a little church in Des Moines of Burmese people. About 150 Burmese, you know where Burma is? That's what, that's Myanmar, that's down by, that's by India. I mean, there's a lot of people there. Guess what? There's a lot of them here too. And he started, for a decade, he's been ministering the gospel to Burmese people. They're coming into our area. This is a metropolitan area and we can reach the nations this way. But some of you need to go. Some of you need to leave these comfy confines and go to other nations and say, God, with your authority, the authority of your son, the power of your Holy Spirit, my personal obedience, I will go. My question to you is, will you go? This is all nations. This is why it's called the Great Commission. It's not called, you don't see the word Great Commission in the text, right? It's just a little header above that passage in your Bible. It's called the Great, it's, the word great in this case doesn't mean cool. It means great in terms of bigness. There was the little commission back in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus said to his disciples, don't go to anyone except to the house of Israel. Very exclusive. And now he says to these 500 plus Jews, make disciples of everybody. This would have blown their minds. So the real question isn't so much of where I should go, but will I go? It's got to start with the willingness. Missiologists back in the 1990s conceived for inspiration, and, and rightly so, inspiration purposes, what they call the 1040 window. Many of you have seen this. That window you're looking at, in red, this is where most of the people groups in the world who are unreached live. And there's 6,000 people groups, 6,000 ethnies in the world. They've never heard the gospel. Are not anything by way of real articulation. Think about this. 6,000 unreached people groups. And mostly within that window. You say, well, that's a oh, man, there's A lot of persecution there. Yeah? How do you think this thing all got started? Who's going to go? Who's going to go? That's my question this morning. Who's going to go? Spurgeon said, it's the job of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. Amen? That's what we're supposed to be doing with the whole Christ, I might add. But we're not going to do it unless we have the compassion of Jesus Christ. We're just not going to do it. Anybody here seen those American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty of Animals commercials? You can only watch about three seconds of it. You know, you see a, one cat with half an eye, and it's like, I'm done. <laughs> what if you could see What if you could see the very condition of the souls of the lost people that you are nearest to right now? What if you could see? I'll tell you something. You'd react a lot more repugnantly than you do when you see those commercials. And what do you know? The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, speaking of Jesus, it says this. And wait for it. Seeing the multitudes. He had compassion on them. You're never, you're never going to do anything with this message, with lost people, until you see the way Jesus sees. Until you suffer in your heart for the lost, the way Jesus suffered in his heart for them. You're looking at that 1040 window. We're sending missionaries everywhere and we need to. In our own locale, we need to. But David Platt, in Together for the Gospel, author of Radical, said this in a message just a few weeks ago. At some point, we have to rectify the great imbalance and obey this great commission. Strong words. If we're going to be making disciples, we have to rely on the power of Jesus, right? You do it by going in the compassion of Jesus. And then, what comes after that? By baptizing those who trust Jesus, right? Baptizing. That makes sense. Aren't you glad we baptize people regularly around here? That is the evidence that, that, that gospel work is happening, that disciple-making is occurring, and it must continue. It must continue. And that's the reason why several years ago, we, you know, it was like a no-brainer, but we, if, if you led somebody to Christ or were instrumental in leading somebody to Christ, you were probably the one baptizing them. There's nothing in the Bible that says, only the pastors should baptize the people getting baptized. Nothing. Doesn't say, well, only guys should. Doesn't say anything like that. But here's the deal. If we're going to be making disciples, we need to be baptizing those who have trusted in Christ. And if you're here this morning, you've trusted in Jesus, and you've never publicly identified with his death, his burial, and his res- resurrection, you must do so. That's where it begins if you're a true follower of Christ. And he, says, and, and, and he says, in the name, baptizing them in the name. You notice it doesn't say in the names. Have you noticed that? It's singular. This is why God is one. This is why our, our, our orthodoxy, our theology is right. God is one. And this speaks of his unity. And in the mystery of all, he is a multi-personality God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen? One God, three persons. And we often say for, for salvation, because in baptism, we are recognizing our triune God's work across you know, across the Godhead in our salvation. We often say the Father selects, that's an eternity past, right? The Son saves, which took place at the cross, and the Spirit seals, which happens when you trust Jesus, on the day you trust Jesus, right? And all three members of the Godhead are are at work, were at work, are at work in salvation, and we recognize it every time we baptize somebody. So, by baptizing those who trust him. By teaching disciples to obey Jesus. Look at what he says here again. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now the word disciple and the word teaching, it's the word mathetes, okay? Uh, that, that word is a powerful word. It means, it, 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 um, it means learner. It means apprentice. So think apprentice when you think of being a disciple. If you're a disciple, you are an apprentice of Jesus. You are a learner. And you need to know what these 500 people were thinking when they heard this, when they heard this command to teach them and to disciple them and to make disciples. Every one of them would have been familiar with the phrase, follow the rabbi. That's the, that's, that's, you remember when Jesus is going around, he, he sees Peter, James, and John, they're mending their nets. He says, follow me. And I'll I'll tell you what, I'll make you fish in a different way for people. And they're going, he's telling us to, uh, we haven't even been educated. Okay, we'll go. And they do. When Jesus said you're going to make disciples, they would have thought about following the rabbi. Rabbis in those days would, if they saw somebody, they saw a young man who they could tell he had all the makings of being a rabbi himself, they would say it was the greatest compliment you could confer upon a young man they would say follow me and what they would do is they didn't just go to to a university or to a study and start reading they did they memorized they memorized huge voluminous passages all i mean great sections of the old testament they would actually memorize so there was definitely study involved But when the rabbi said, follow me, he literally meant that. They literally followed the rabbi. They they, they would follow him. The dust would get all, they, they thought it was a blessing to get the dust of the rabbi on them. They would eat what he ate. They would go where he went. They would do what he did. That's what a disciple does. We have raised up in the 21st century a whole generation of hearers, not doers. And this is why James, almost with foresight by the Spirit of God, said, be doers of the word, not hearers only, what? Deceiving your own selves. Have you ever read that? That's the last. Because you never deceive anyone else until you deceive yourself. And if all you do is hear, all you do is learn, all you do is stuff your head with more knowledge, and there isn't any character development, there isn't any service, there isn't any doing, there isn't any evangelizing, then you're just, you're, you're just lying to yourself. You're not a disciple. We, part of being a disciple maker is teaching others with the idea of being genuine apprentices for Jesus Christ. Amen? And finally, how does the church make disciples? By relying on the power of Jesus. That's the foundation of it all. By going with the compassion of Jesus. By baptizing those who trust in Jesus. By teaching disciples to obey Jesus. And finally, by resting in the presence of Jesus. Behold, say it with me. I am with you always. To the end of the age, right? Back to the legend himself, Chuck the Clean. Chuck preached on this passage many years ago. He, his favorite part of this passage is this part right here. Because Paul, or Paul, or Chuck rather, pointed out that in the Greek, the, the word I, I'm with you always, the word I is emphatic. It's at, the, it's at the beginning of the sentence. It's emphatic. So I am, that's Jesus, right? He's the I am. So literally the Greek reads like this, I With you am. That's how the Greek, I with you am. And Chuck likes to point out the fact that that puts us sandwiched between Jesus. In fact, here's what Chuck said to me just the other day. He said, Pat, Jesus wants us to know that when we are involved in making disciples, he surrounds us in that activity. What a privilege. David Livingston the great missionary explorer of Africa, when he returned haggard and broken bodily from Africa after 16 years of grueling missionary work, he spoke at the University of Glasgow. This man whose body had been wrecked by 27, 27 fevers his left arm mangled by a lion, so thereby almost useless, said to this group, and I quote, shall I tell you what sustained me during the hardship and loneliness of my exile? It was Christ's promise, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He rested, even at the most difficult of time in his life, in the presence of Jesus. You got power, you got presence, right? Even to the end of the age. That's a reference of time. When time as we know it comes to an end, Jesus will still be there, amen? My wife, who was sitting in the first service, I did not get her permission, so let me tell you something. I told this with fear and trepidation. But she was fine with it. She loves happy endings, especially with movies and stuff, you know. That's why I can't, yeah, I'm not even going to go there. But we watched one together a couple weeks ago, okay. We watched a happy ending movie. It was an older movie, like 25 years old. And it was funny, I haven't even seen it for 25 years. And yet I knew it had a happy ending. I just, I just, we just couldn't remember how it ended. You know how that is? Remember it had a happy, just couldn't remember how, but sure enough, at the end of the movie, the couple who've been, you know, playfully sort of battling throughout the movie, that they fell in love, and they kissed. And suddenly, as they're kissing, the credits start coming up. And literally, my wife goes, no, not yet. <laughs> like, she wanted more. In the end... When this world is completely reclaimed by King Jesus and the lover of our souls embraces us and the end of all time comes to pass the credits won't come up because the show will go on because love will go on forever until then Dear disciple of Jesus Christ, let's make disciples. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we love you and bless your name. And we have heard your commandment through your Son. He has all power, all authority is his. We believe that. And we also believe, Lord, that we go in that power and that authority. I pray for those here who have never repented of their sin and placed their faith in Jesus. They've never received the power of the gospel, the power of forgiveness, the exhilaration of knowing that they are a child of God and that's you. If that is you, my friend, right now, repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus who died and rose again for you. And then, God, I pray for those, and I especially pray for the young people. I especially pray for these graduating high schoolers and collegiates. God, they are at the very beginning of their adult life. If that's you, dear friend, would you right now just say, God, I will, I will. I don't know where it means. I don't know where you're going to take me, but I will commit myself to making disciples to the nation's I'll start here, Lord, but I'll go wherever you tell me to go. Can you pray that in your heart right now? Can you say that to Jesus? Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for empowering me. Thank you for commanding me and for giving me all the resources to make disciples. I do so commit my heart to you, my life to you, my will to you to do so. If that's your prayer, and that's in your heart and mind, don't raise your hand, don't stand up, don't walk forward, just speak to the one who sees everything in you right now and say, I will. And we ask these things, Lord, In the name of the greatest missionary of them all, even our Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand.